0: to The Skeptic Wire
1: Hello. Hello. Hello you are now listening to The Skeptic Wire It is the 9th of April, 2014, and this is episode 157, technically our three-year anniversary. Right, we
2: are beginning year number four of The Skeptic Wire. Unfortunately, we begin year four of The Skeptic Wire down one member temporarily.
1: Again! (laughs) I'm sensing a theme. Actually, I sense Gary's thesis. It's actually taking up more of his time than anything else, and...
2: Yeah, he says it's allergies, but really he's just allergic to academic work.
1: Um, Considering how I got at the end of my dissertation, I would be inclined to agree with you. So I am Donna Swafford, and with me tonight is Greg Perrine. And tell me, Greg, how was your week? I got nothing. You got nothing? Nope. Didn't see any movies? Nope. I actually, I got free tickets last night. I went and saw Draft Day. If you like sports movies, I recommend it. It's a... Fun little non-sports sports movie. It's more about the inner workings of how teams are picked, right. and the the wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. That was, you know, kind of a neat little flick.
2: So um, kind of Wall Street for sports nerds.
1: Yes, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I've seen way too many movies in the past week,
2: so <laughs> well, movies is your job. It's good to know what else is out there. Get ideas. Yeah. Say, oh, I do want to do that. No, I never want to do that.
1: I have to say this about the movie Draft Day, and I'm not going to be giving anything away here. Um, they would frequently do like the telephone call split screen. Okay. So you've got, the you know, the guy on the left on, on one end of the conversation and the guy on the right on the other end.
2: Very 1970s. Kind but
1: of. so you'd see the line that separated them, but they would be moving the camera on both sides. So they'd frequently like flip sides and everything. And also, like, if somebody was standing towards the middle, they would actually not cut the shoulder off. It would actually, like, only the shoulder part would, like, bleed over onto the other split screen. So it was really kind of neat. It was like, that took me a couple of minutes of going, that's really different about how they filmed it. It kind of kept me as a filmmaker interested.
2: Or how they edited it using digital effects to kind of basically kind of draw the Photoshop line around someone's shoulder instead of a straight hard line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was really neat. I thought that was good. Um, It's got Kevin Costner and Dennis Leary and Jennifer Garner. And if you need two hours to to get away, that's... (laughs) It's, it's a good movie to go and get away with. Um, there's not and, a lot of hard science to it. It's, <laughs> you're not a better person for having seen it, but.
2: Yeah. You, you said you weren't going to give away spoilers, but I know one of the spoilers is that Kevin Costner is Dennis Leary's father. No. Nope. And wants, and ch- cut off his arm and he wants to take over the galaxy with him.
1: No, that didn't really happen. What happened was, is that Kevin Costner trapped Dennis Leary on this planet years and years and years ago. Okay. And Dennis Leary escapes only to kill Kevin Costner's best friend.
2: Oh, okay. And he goes, Costner <laughs> Okay, you blew out the ears of everybody listening, but gotcha. Hey.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's other than work, you know, that's all I do now.
2: Okay. We'll get into a little bit more film talk later. We've we've kind of saturated the show a little bit with film talk in so, the last couple of weeks, but Another thing has reared its ugly head. That's
1: what happens when we're down a podcaster.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Gary doesn't have his veto power to say, I don't want to talk Talk about about another movie.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm going to go out on a ledge here, and I'm going to assume that you have a birthday picked out for today.
2: I do. The person whose birthday it is today was born April 19th, 1919
0: Hmm. and
2: passed away June 3rd, 1995. Hmm. is a sciencey person uh more on the electrical engineer side of things okay so i was guessing that if gary had been here he might be able to guess this person but you probably uh, maybe might be able to guess this person as well i don't know okay inventor pioneer
1: inventor and pioneer um I got nothing. You
2: I'm just reading more. random words off his Wikipedia article. Does the word ENIAC mean anything to you?
1: It's one of the first computers.
2: Uh-huh. Does uh, the word UNIVAC mean anything to you?
1: That's the... really that is really considered the first computer. Vacuum tubes and yes. punches and all of that funky stuff that... I don't have to worry about because I have more <laughs> computing power in my little old cell phone.
2: Yes, exactly. Right here.
1: So, um,
2: but this was the 1940s, 1950s era when which computing I, was just beginning.
1: Yeah, I got nothing.
2: All right. Yeah, I don't know of any other clues besides
1: just telling me and, and admitting that I've missed one.
2: The name sounded vaguely familiar to me when I read it. But I'm not surprised if you don't recognize this person when I say it. J. Presper Eckert.
1: J. Presper Eckert.
2: He was born John Adams Presper Eckert Jr., but... Uh,
1: That's a or, mouthful. Yes,
2: exactly. So he went by J. Presper Eckert, or or Press. Yeah, he was one of the people who first created ENIAC, so he electrical engineer. So he worked with John Mulkey, Mulkey, Something like that, maybe related to the uh, Chaplin and MASH. They invented this basically digital computer, and it was used early on for calculating artillery angles and stuff like that for the military. So they got a lot of their funding that way. They both worked for the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. It had developed the ENIAC computer kind of through that college, their support. But eventually these two guys left the college because essentially... There was a fight with the Wharton School about the patent over the computer and who got to get the money from it, essentially. That's very interesting. Uh... So they had kind of this detente of, well, we're going to leave and we can, we'll can we share some of the stuff, but we're going to retain the patent. And they went off and they started the Eckert uh, Mulkey Computer Corporation. It had another name to begin with, but eventually that's what it became. And they're the ones who invented the UNIVAC and, you know, really started or helped really start the, the smaller and smaller and smaller, eventually, march of progress of computing. And like you said, they had the idea, I think it was mostly John Mulkey's idea, to to use more of the vacuum tubes rather than all the old stuff. But there was new technology involved, and computers awesome because that is what allows us to actually do this podcast. Yeah. And and that's whose birthday it is today. I, I, well, I personally don't have anything more to say about that one.
1: I got nothing to add, really.
2: Cause, yeah. Did you recognize the name when the, I said it?
1: Ecker, I did. in Sort of like one of those, like, I vaguely remember reading something about it in a computer history or <laughs> science history class right. that I took many, many, many moons ago. But picking him out of a lineup sort of thing, <laughs> absolutely not. Couldn't have told you what he did. So, happy birthday, John Ecker. Yep. Too bad you're dead.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) So, we haven't done wack a meme in a while, namely because I've been really fucking busy. And it's really honestly the only way to put it, and and I apologize. So, we do actually have a wack a meme this week. So there is a meme going around, and apparently it's been going around for a while. I just saw it. It's got a still frame from the TV cartoon Johnny Bravo, and it's Johnny is kind of in a little fight with this other guy, and I don't know who the other guy is. (laughs) We don't have
2: the context of the scene.
1: Right. Beside them is a a wall, and there's a poster that has a building that looks like it's blowing up, and it says, coming soon. Mm Mm-hmm. And it says, the TV show Johnny Bravo is one of my favorite cartoon shows from childhood. But upon watching a certain episode named Chain Gang Johnny, I noticed a particular picture in the background. It may be coincidental, but that burning building in the background struck me as a tad odd. Of course, my thoughts went back to September 11th, 2001, and I did a little research on it. And this particular episode aired on April 27th, 2001, roughly four months before September 11th. The words, coming soon, shook me. First off... When you look at it, and we all know what happened when September 11th happened, the Twin Towers went down. Right. A, this is a single building.
2: (laughs) It is a building that is reminiscent of the Twin Towers. It's taller than anything else in the little picture that it's in. You could argue, oh, it's cropped off, so it's only one of the two. But anytime you represent the Twin Towers... Anytime you represent 9-11, you represent them both together, both kind of on fire and collapsing right. or something like that.
1: There's no planes, there's no evidence of it happening via impact or anything else. It looks like a movie poster. Oh, gee, like maybe perhaps the movie Towering Inferno. Or Die or Hard. Or Die Hard, I yeah. was going to say, or <laughs> Die Hard. You know, there are several movies that have used this motif. In their movie posters, you know, is Die Hard a, a prediction of the Twin Towers <laughs> collapsing?
2: Yeah, I got gotcha. you.
1: No, it's not. People, stop looking for signs <laughs> that you, you know, suddenly I'm the only one who's ever
2: seen this. It's a, it's a coincidence. Yeah. The other thing I was going to point to is is the author of this meme is really focused on the idea that this episode aired first aired. April 27th, uh, 2001, about four months before September 11th, completely ignoring the fact that almost any cartoon production you're going to do takes a year or more to do because of all the, you have to script everything out, get everything refined really well, then record the voices and then send it off to Korea to be animated for months and months and months. They send it back and corrections. Animation takes a fuck long time, especially back in 2001 before computer animation was more of a thing. Exactly. So this was probably made in early 2000, maybe even 1999. Exactly. So so the time coincidence doesn't make a lot of sense. The building coincidence yes, doesn't make a lot of but sense.
1: But they knew. The animators knew what was going <laughs> to happen. They're part of the problem. They're the thirteenth man or the thirteenth terrorist or whatever, right? No,
2: if if know. you turn it around and say, Okay, so this is supposed to be proof of the conspiracy or something like that, the fact that some dumbass animators of a cartoon show knew of this vast conspiracy to blow up the Twin Towers, if if it got that far down the chain of just your average Joe knowing what the fuck was going on, how is there not vast amounts of proof From many other angles and many other people that there actually was some sort of conspiracy and that people knew it was going to happen. Exactly. Or if you think this is uh, time travel prophecy or whatever, really? If you're going to put your prophecy in some kind of cartoon, you're going to put it in something like The Simpsons that more people watch. Nothing against Johnny Bravo. I know a lot of people, it's their cult favorite kind of thing. But
1: I prefer Dexter's Lab. (laughs)
2: But it's just, it it doesn't make any sense of why it would be in there. The script writers knew, or some animators, like I said, in South Korea knew.
1: Yeah, it's a a really big stretch.
2: It's, It's a lot of these memes that if you scratch the surface and just do a little bit of research. When I saw this, when you posted it on our private site, I went and googled Johnny Bravo Snopes. Yeah, September 11th. Yeah, it just
1: automatically popped up.
2: Well, there was a, a forum discussion on it, and a lot of people were kind of going back and forth of kind of some of the same things we've said. But the fact that Snopes hasn't even debunked this <laughs> is kind of, it's so lame, it doesn't make any sense to say that this is kind of some kind of proof of conspiracy.
1: Yeah, but I, I just, like I said, I, I really love it because it's, it shows how far people will reach to make... That connection,
2: that anomaly hunting kind of thing, yeah.
1: And it shows how desperate I think we are as a group of people, how desperate humans are to have causal links, yeah, and correlations. And we get onto this all the time: correlation does not imply causation, right? And something of this magnitude, people are always looking for: where did we miss the signs? Or and uh, apparently the sign was on Johnny Bravo.
2: Or thinking that there was a plan behind this. I mean, there was a conspiracy, there was a plan, but it was of a terrorist group. It was not this vast governmental corporation conspiracy or whatever. It does not make any sense that it would be that. Yeah. Because so many more people would have to be involved. And as much as I say disagree with the political administration of under George W. Bush, I don't think they were actively evil people trying to kill people on purpose. Most people say in these conspiracies, in order to move us into a war or something, they may have used the political accident to say, well, this can give us an excuse to do what we want to, but they, I don't, it doesn't make sense that they would make it happen. I have, I may be a bit of a misanthrope, but I have enough faith in people to think that they wouldn't try to do that on purpose.
1: But I just, I love when they pop up because you go, really? And it is a nice way to kind of separate your friends on your Facebook (laughs) list. I really am saying that because mine actually, it popped up quite a few times this week. And I'm all like, really people? (laughs) Really?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, like, like you said, this meme has been around for several years. I think the Snopes forum thread that I found was back from 2011, 2012 or something like that. Yeah. So these kind of things rear their ugly head and bump around a lot. Someone thinks, oh, I'll post this again. And it gets passed around. And that's the the wonderfulness and the horribleness of of the the internet. (laughs) The
1: intertubes. Because these things don't get very well researched. And that's the problem. You know, somebody sees it, makes that jump and goes, here you go. These things get posted. They get passed around. And in the attempts of educating people... A draft paper by the Australian National Health and Medical Research Council is helping to hopefully educate people on homeopathy. And basically what they say literally is homeopathy is bunk. Hokum shit. <laughs> well, okay.
2: They I added that. those last two. Yeah. Well, the homeopathy is bunk thing is from a Guardian article describing the the results of the paper. So I don't think that the title of the pa- paper is that, but almost every scientist quoted in that Guardian article is saying, essentially repeating the same thing over and over again there is no reliable evidence that homeopathy is in any way effective. They looked at studies for dozens of conditions, up to 68, including asthma, arthritis, sleep disturbances, cold and flu, eczema, cholera, malaria, and heroin addiction. We've talked about homeopathy ad infinitum on the show, so I don't think we have to go into what it is, but we know it's a placebo, so we can understand maybe in some ways how it might be helpful for something like heroin addiction, where there's a lot of chemical physical problems with heroin addiction, where your body is craving that substance, but there's also a lot in your brain. Yeah. So I can see why it might be effective in that case. But when the scientists out in Australia looked at homeopathy for heroin addiction, even in that case, no effect. Right. When, when you look at good studies as opposed to the right. crap studies that and the Homeopathy you know, my, Association My pushes. answer
1: to about homeopathy is, yes, we know about the placebo effect, and that is great for minor things. In my personal opinion, it's really great for those, eczema is horrible, I suffer from it. It's not life threatening.
2: Right. But it's also not going to do anything.
1: Right. If that placebo effect is helping you, by all means, continue it. But if you're using this to treat cancer, HIV, tuberculosis, you're an idiot. Right. I'm not going to be politically correct in this point. If that is where you're going to go, by all means, that's fine. I don't want my government dollars paying for you to be chanted over while whistling Dixie and and drinking your very expensive water with a molecule of whatever it is in it.
2: Right. Well, I, I draw the line a little bit more. Let's use the word conservatively than you do, where I think it doesn't matter if it's a placebo that helps or not, because if you say, well, um I have minor allergies and when I take this homeopathic homeopathic remedy I feel better so I'm going to keep using it. And you think oh well it's a minor allergy if they or, or a minor cold or something like that where they'll get over it and it's fine. But my worry is the next step. Or yeah. someone says, "Well, I took homeopathic stuff for my cold." So – and I got better, so it must work, so therefore I can give it to my kid when he has asthma attacks. Right. And having had a severe asthma attack once in my life, I don't want to have a well, second see, I because think, it's scary. I think so I'm even... worried about the – it's essentially a slippery slope kind of argument right. of if you're going to say that magical thinking is okay in this one situation, that means people will believe it's – True in another.
1: Well, my answer to that one is they have to take that responsibility. If they kill their kid due to homeopathy, you know what? I don't care. Fuck them, send him to jail. Right. I, but if,
2: if you're saying that it's okay that they could have homeopathy in one situation, but not in the other, that what I'm creates saying too is much is of a gray area.
1: If you are using homeopathy to cure a major, major problem cancer, HIV, asthma. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You take that responsibility, whether it's yourself dying or somebody else dying. That's where I,
2: I I, I know, but
1: personal responsibility.
2: I'm an adult. I took homeopathy to get rid of my cold. I got better. So my kid gets a cold. I give them homeopathy. They don't get better. They die because they are that one in a million chance that actually dies from a cold or flu.
1: Right. They deserve to go to jail.
2: But you said that it's okay in those minor situations, and that's why I have a problem with saying it's okay at all. It goes, it's, goes beyond the buyer beware argument that you're making of, well, if they're going to put their money into it, they could get what they deserve, and I understand that. But I'm,
1: I'm big on personal responsibility, that if you don't want to research it and you don't want to do the – look at the science behind it and everything else, if you are going to purposely be ignorant, there is nothing that I can do about it.
2: I understand that. I I, I come at the, the same way that I come at, say, religion, where a lot a lot of people are – just will be light and fluffy towards the, the liberal believers who say, well, they're not protesting funerals. They're not blowing up buildings. So eh, if they get something out of it, great. But it, from my point of view, I will try to basically argue people out of that in a polite way, much more polite with the liberal believers. Because any magical thinking is going to allow more magical thinking. It's the argument of the the people who were still liberal Christians and the liberal Muslims and all that sort of stuff weren't as vocal as they really should have been after 9-11 because they still had to protect their belief, their magical thinking.
1: Well, my answer is is that if their magical thinking is keeping them from murdering, raping, and all of that jazz, keep on believing it. Because guess what? I don't want you murdering, raping, and doing whatever it is. Right. If that is what's keeping you from doing it, by all means, keep mm-hmm. doing it.
2: I understand that. But with the, with the not, basically not confronting at all liberal believers, and it's not like trying to legally bring down the Westboro Baptist Church kind of stuff. It's more of, you know, I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to confront you over your, what someone is saying religiously, or confronting the people who are using homeopathy for minor stuff. Hold on, I lost my point. It wasn't going to convince you, but it was a good one, damn it! Um, So all that together, the liberal believers and the, the light homeopathic believers, whatever, if you don't confront all of homeopathy or all of religion because it does not make sense in the real world and all that kind of fun stuff. If nothing is confronted, nothing will change. So if you leave this pocket of, oh, okay, go ahead, use your thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just for a cold. There's still going there's always going to be that pocket of people. And I, I, it's more of the, the full court press kind of metaphor of, we can't just, hit the the easy targets we we still have to hit the crazy people who are trying to cure cancer with homeopathy and i think we all can agree on that yeah but i think we still have to put pressure on the light users and the light believers to say no seriously have you thought about the fact that you're just taking a sugar pill even for a cold
1: (laughs) my answer to this one is is if a friend of mine or an acquaintance of mine comes up and says hey This is what I'm taking, or you should take this for your cold. I will say, I'm not going to take your Ossicillacoccinum or whatever it is for these reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want to take it, they're an adult. (laughs) Okay. You make adult decisions and everything else. With that being said, if you're going to be a lumberjack, you have to carry your end of the log, as my father would always say. Mm Mm-hmm. You take the responsibility of, oh look, I was taking the sazolaconium for however long, and now I'm trying to go in the hospital because all of a sudden my lungs are collapsing. Yeah. Guess what? I really don't want to have to pay for that.
2: So I, I, I get it. I understand, but it, it, I want to nip things in the bud before they get horrible problems. If someone has a cold and they start taking homeopathy and then they get worse. It's the emergency room versus primary care kind of situation with our healthcare argument in the United States where it is better for, to get people in for preventative care for diabetes and um, all the standard conditions people take. It's less economically and healthy to say, well, just go to the emergency room when things get really bad. And I don't want to wait for some kid to die from homeopathy, even if it was something for a cold or cancer. I, I believe it is best to do a full court press on all of homeopathy to say, it does not matter what you think you're taking it for. It is not going to work. So it, the same kind of argument with things like, well, people think that still think that if they take vitamin C, they'll get better from a cold, where really they're just pissing it all out
1: yeah exactly
2: it's it yes it's not hurting them, yes, they're just wasting money, but you still have to push to say it does not work, just like taking essence of blue bonnet flour will not cure your cancer just because it is a natural remedy or something does not mean it's necessarily going to work
1: I think that we we we're both on we're both on the same side of. It's crap and it's shit.
2: It's, it's a difference of how, how far down the line you're going to push really hard.
1: And I'm only going to push really hard if your decision hurts somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a firm believer in that you're an adult. Yeah. I can't stop you from drinking. I can't stop you from dry. I can't stop you from drinking and driving. I can't stop you from snorting cocaine or whatever. You are an adult. You are allowed to make adult decisions. But at the same time, you live with those consequences. And if those consequences are you've killed somebody, then lock your ass up and throw away the key.
2: (laughs) Unfortunately, people don't live with their consequences. And I just wish people did more research ahead of time. Because if people did more research on things like homeopathy, if someone before they went to Rite Aid to start taking something for their cold went and googled homeopathy, and this article was the first thing to come up that says they studied homeopathy's effect on 68 different things, and no matter what they looked at, it does not work. If people just did that basic research, they would never take homeopathy, and they would die a slow death, like um, the cranial bumps science.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, Phrenology. Phrenology,
2: kind of. It's just, no, it doesn't work. It's bunk. It's stupid. And it went away.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately, though... We are in a society where, especially in the United States, yeah, where you have the right to be stupid.
2: Yes, that's that's the problem, to balance that. I'll, like you said, you were very right to say, buyer beware. If you want to go do that, if you want to go poke yourself in the eye with railroad spikes, go ahead. But just don't hurt anybody else.
1: Right. I'm, but
2: you also want to say... People shouldn't do that. People should wear seatbelts, and we should make that a law to protect as many people as possible. It's it's a tough balance.
1: Yeah, it is, and I, but unfortunately, right now in the United States, homeopathy is is here. It's here to stay. <laughs> you cannot turn on the TV. You can't go into a drugstore. You can't go into Walmart or a grocery store, or whatever, without seeing the products.
2: Because it's you, damn cheap to make, and you can sell it for whatever the hell you want. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> in addition, we've all got those friends who have said, try this, try yeah. this herbal remedy. It and worked
2: if, for my cold, cold, so you'll get better.
1: Exactly. Sure, it worked for their cold in a week. Yeah. Maybe bed rest. <laughs> Had something to do with that. Yeah. Once again, correlation does not imply causation. Yeah. If you ask me what I think of the product, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think of it. But at the same time, we're all big boys and girls, and we all have to yeah. make our own decisions.
2: Hopefully studies like the ones that this Australian National Health and Medical Research Council did, helped out apparently by the Friends of Science and Medicine, which is a kind of skeptical organization, For so yay on them. Um, hopefully yeah. more studies like this will eventually both get us our wish of making homeopathy go the way of phrenology yeah. and disappear forever. Speaking of disappearing forever, something we thought would disappear forever was the idea of geocentrism. And the internet exploded this week over this new trailer for The Principle, yeah. which is a, a quote-unquote documentary being produced by – what's his name –
1: Robert Sungenis? Sin- Sungenis?
2: Something. Close to Genesis, which tells you a lot of what this guy is really pushing. All the articles being passed around were focused on two things. First of all, that it was about geocentrism, and that's kind of part of what you see in the trailer, that they're saying the Earth is a special place and it probably is the center of the universe right. by quote-mining different scientists. But they also really focused on the idea that Kate Mulgrew lends her voice to – and her gravitas to a, a film promoting the idea that the sun revolves around the Earth. And both of those are burying the headline. Right.
1: So for those who are not familiar, Kate Mulgrew is an actress. Her, probably her most famous role was Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager.
2: For the younger crowd, you might know her better from *Orange Is the New Black as the Russian head of the kitchen lady.
1: See, I remember her from Cheers. She was a guest star on Cheers.
2: Huh. Okay. I didn't know that.
1: And if I remember the episode right, she dumps Ted Danson.
2: Good. For her, I
1: guess. <laughs> but I saw that episode and her performance and it always struck me. And okay. even as a, a young adult, i that was my... I really like this actress. I am more, I yeah. want to see more that she does.
2: Now she did seven years of Voyager essentially with a big old stick up her butt. Yeah. But, um, yes, but a the good actor and has been in a lot of things, but, uh, basically the, all the articles say are like, oh my God, this woman is lending her credence to this crazy idea of the sun revolving around the earth. I watched the trailer she has one sentence at the beginning of the trailer, essentially, along the lines of, everything you may know about science could be wrong, or, or it's a phrase like that. That's all her text in this. Now, maybe maybe that's all her contribution was, that they came in, asked her to come in and read this one line. That doesn't mean she knows what is entailed in the rest of the film.
1: Right. It, it's the same thing that we saw with PZ Myers and... Ray Comfort recently, where Ray Comfort took, interviewed PZ Myers and took several statements out of context. Mm-hmm. In addition, the whole, oh, uh, what the fuck was the name of that?
2: The what ter- if, What the fuck do we know? What the bleep do we know? No, or the no. evolution, uh, expelled. Expelled. Yeah.
1: Once again, another one where they said, oh, look, we're doing movie A. Yeah. But they're really doing movie B. And hiring these people under false context and mm-hmm. everything else. That's probably from what I have seen from Kate Mulgrew's Facebook site and everything else. That's what she's saying is that she had no idea right. what this was all about. And they could have written the script in a way where they take a sentence here and a sentence from there and then put them together like it's... There's a lot of magic continues. in editing.
2: Yeah, Exactly. We'll it's fix what... it in post is a common saying in Hollywood.
1: Yes, it is really easy that if you have somebody reading a couple of paragraphs to rearrange those sentences yeah. and fit it in how you want it, where they think they're talking about something else, and bada bing, bada boom, <laughs> there
0: you go.
2: I think it even gets worse than that because the trailer for this principal movie, which is sent with this guy, Robert uh, Syn- Syngenis. He writes the blog Galileo was wrong, so that kind of tells you something which
1: of it. I want noted since we haven't done a web of truth lately galileo was wrong dot com does come up with a go back
2: go back <laughs> a bright this red has... web of trust bad yes. yeah
1: so I, I just I want that duly noted that other than you know we promote web of trust and other people do as well this one has already been but still hey go to yeah. Gali- <laughs> yeah. GalileoWasWrong.com. galileo yeah. was Log in your vote, because these people are bat crap fucking crazy. Yep. I want to know who decided that bat crap was the level <laughs> of craziness, but that's a whole other side note.
2: So this guy, Robert Gennis I could guess that he might be the kind of disingenuous person to quote mine whatever he had Captain Janeway read. Yes. Because this trailer also very prominently features some well-known scientists Michio Kaku and Lawrence Krauss. Now, Michio Kaku does a lot of kind of discovery channel, science channel.
1: He's, he's he, a media whore. Let's he, just yes. say this flat out. He's a, I love him. Yeah. But if there is a camera anywhere <laughs> around, he finds
2: it. He's a little, a little on the wooey side in that he talks very spiritually about it. A little bit, a lot more spiritually than, say, Carl Sagan ever did, which was just kind of awe and wonder and science. But more of – it's just a little bit wooey. But in most of what he talks about, he talks about good, honest physical science and what we actually know and the mysteries of dark matter and all that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of what Michi Ukaku could be quote mined for is the saying, there's so much that we don't know yet.
1: Which is (laughs) true. Yeah. There is – we don't know how much we don't know about the universe. It's – There, and it's big, and it's vast, and we can't get to the outer reaches and see it.
2: So we also have clips from Lawrence Krauss, who has spoken at several skeptical conventions. For someone who's writing a blog, Galloway was wrong, and the rest of the clips of this movie show a lot less focus on geocentrism, but very hard on creationism, saying that the Earth is a special spot in the middle of the universe— and also that the sun rolls revolves around the earth. That's kind of what they buried the lead yeah. with. That it's less about geocentrism of the sun going around the earth, but more about the earth being a special place that the creator God created. And there's a lot of God talk by other people in this trailer. Right. But Lawrence Krauss is talking essentially about the book that he recently put out a few years ago called A Universe from Nothing and the idea of – Boiling it down very simplistically, because I only barely understood his book myself, that the quantum foam at a very, very small level is constantly bubbling particles in and out of existence. They bubble in, they cancel each other out, like antimatter and plus matter cancel each other out, and they're gone. And every once in a while, some of those particles stick around, and that's what led to the universe having stuff. So the concept of the universe from nothing. But he also talks a lot about There's so much we don't know and that – all this kind of stuff. You could tell very well, having read his book and hear some of his talks, that they quote-mined presentations that he had given about that concept from his books. And I'm pretty sure from what Lawrence Krauss said on his Twitter page that they essentially took basically public domain clips that he wants out there to promote his book – or to just say, here, I can be a speaker, here's an example of what I can do. And they use that in the trailer to show, oh, here's these prominent scientists like Kaku who say, science doesn't know anything, so we can fill that gap with God.
1: Right, exactly. And here, I'm going to actually read what Lawrence Krauss
0: wrote, because this, I think, just it seals it. He says, for all who asked, some clips of me apparently were mined for a movie on geocentrism. So stupid does disservice to the word nonsense. Ignore it.
1: He cuts it straight to the point. He is unequivocal how he feels about (laughs) geocentrism and, by extension, creationism.
2: Yes. This trailer is very creationistic. It's very much, we're going to bend what scientists say to what we want to believe about God and the universe.
1: Exactly. And that's... That's just pathetic. Yeah.
2: It's not really proving anything through experiment or science or data. It's like a philosopher twisting someone's words to use homonyms and synonyms to make some weird logical point where they're basically twisting you around in circles. Right. Just by jargon.
1: Kate Mulgrew had actually a very nice statement out mm-hmm. when it was when she obviously caught the news.
2: Yes. Her She's, publicist was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we got to fix this now. And she has one sentence in the trailer, and this entire media hullabaloo has been about her, not about the fact that this is bad science trailer. But fortunately, she said this.
0: And She says, I understand there has been some controversy about my participation in a documentary called The Principle. Let me assure everyone that I completely agree with the eminent physicist Lawrence Krauss, who was himself misrepresented in the film, and who has written a succinct rebuttal in Slate. (laughs) I am not a geocentrist, nor am I in any way a proponent of geocentrism. More importantly, I do not subscribe to anything that Robertson Jenis has written regarding science and history, and had I known of his involvement, would most certainly have avoided this documentary. I was a voice for hire and a misinformed (laughs) one at that. I apologize for any confusion that my voice on this trailer may have caused Cape Mulgrew. The Number one response to her
2: statement
1: Mm -hmm. is Lawrence Krauss saying, good for you, Kate. Glad we agree.
2: When everybody basically quote mind in this movie trailer comes around and says, no, you're fucking stupid. No, 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 no. You know, something dirty happened with how they took this footage and how they manipulated things. When you have something like this Robertson Janis, who is essentially a Holocaust denier, and very anti-Semitic and all that kind of stuff where even like the Catholic church apparently is saying, hey, buddy, cool it. Stop saying that you're talking for us. It's like the – uh what's the Donahue guy who's the Catholic League who's just – Bill Donahue. Bill Donahue, just some dumbass in a basement with a fax machine.
1: Yeah. And my understanding, that's what this Robert Sugenis is. He's the kind that is sitting in his mother's basement. Because I really do believe it's his mother's basement with, uh, <laughs> you know, with a Sony Vegas, which is a really bad editing system going, I can do this.
2: Look! <laughs> There's a lot of money in churchy type stuff. So maybe he's got final cut or something like that. But we're two people sitting in a living room producing a media. Hey,
1: We're not in your mother's basement.
2: That's true. Well, uh, the point I was trying – I I don't have any response to that. The point I was really trying to make is we are two people sitting in their living room producing media for, okay, hundreds of people to listen to, but hopefully eventually thousands or whatever, to entertain and produce something and get something out there. The advance of technology in the last 10, 15 years of allowing people to produce their own podcasts, produce their own videos and YouTube it, produce their own movies with – A simple digital video camera and a good mic and a laptop computer to cut it all together, even in something like iMovie or something.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: It means that there's a lot more power in people to produce more stuff and get more out there. And it does help contribute to the marketplace of ideas. But it also allows dumbasses like this guy to get something produced that never would have been made some 20, 30 years ago where, like, we're not going to spend money on a movie about... The Earth being the center of the system and the universe, every scientist we would ever talk to would tell you you're an idiot. We're not going to put our money into this. But nowadays, he can.
1: Right. I don't know what Kate Mulgrew's going right is. It's not going to be cheap. No. So, you know, as much as we want to believe that he is sitting there in his mother's basement in his underwear going, Err, there's somebody wrong on the internet. <laughs> Obviously, he's got backers for this and and, and everything else, but the other side of this is that same technology is now biting him in the ass. That's true.
2: The internet is basically group sourcing to say, no. Fuck you. (laughs) Go back to the basement. He probably thinks that any press is good press. I mean, Mm -hmm. this story has been everywhere on the internets this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, we posted it earlier this week, and before we even got to recording, it was pretty much over and done with, and we're like... Do we want to talk about this? It's <laughs> exactly. already done. It's, and, uh, by
2: the time uh, we post yeah, this yeah. on Friday, it's going to be old news. But it, it, it shows all the things we've been talking about, how there's the danger of the democratization of technology and how easy it is to make stuff out there. The fact that some ideas will stick around forever, no matter how stupid they are, how disproven they are by, I don't know, the Apollo astronauts. And basically that the kind of group sourcing of the internet will fact check anything you do out there. And it's 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 good lessons about a lot of different topics, even though the story is eh, pretty much over until probably the actual movie comes out. And we see just how much they leave Kate Mulgrew in as narrator or if you use someone else because of all this controversy, how much they still leave Lawrence Krauss clips in. If they want that controversy of trying to quote mine someone and have it backfire on them,
1: well, we'll see what happens. When un- a- Unfortunately, this guy is probably going to make the money back that he's invested oh, yeah. into it and, and everything else.
2: Well, so is the God Not Dead people who have that horrible film that...
1: <sighs> Let's not discuss yeah. that film. <laughs> well, still- it's,
2: it's just that critics are saying that's a piece of crap, too. And it's yeah. still probably going to make money because it's that's niche market and it was probably really cheap to make.
1: Yeah, I mean... Let's be honest, Kevin Sarbo does not command the paycheck that Kate Mulgrew does. Okay, let's just just cut to the quick on that one, okay?
2: Hercules may be really fucking strong, but Captain Janeway has lasers.
1: And she kicked the Borg's ass. That's true. That's all I gotta say.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think... And she
1: had the cleanest ship in Starfleet ever.
2: (laughs) Which didn't make any fucking sense. That's why I kind of hated that series a little bit, because they were lost in the middle of nowhere, and their ship was pristine every single week. They had a big old button on the bridge that said, Reset. It went all the way back to the beginning, and they would do things like they would add Borg technology that would make them go warp 20,000, and they would just take it off, saying, oh, we can't use it anymore at the end of the week. Leave it on, just in case you might find a way to make it work next time. Exactly. But Someone blew a hole in the fucking bridge, and it's perfectly fine the next week. That doesn't happen. Anyway. Well, yeah. Little rant from a Star Trek fan.
1: So just like Captain Janeway and, and Lawrence Krauss have, you know, they come to this realization that they've been quote-minded, and, and shit is being put out there that is unscientific, mm-hmm. I wish that we could say the same thing for our local news. <laughs> I really do. So now, a
2: lot of people have been covering this one.
1: Right. Because apparently... There is going to be a full moon coming.
2: April 15th.
1: April 15th, which is also Passover for our Jewish friends. Mm -hmm. So there's this full moon coming and it's because it is coinciding with a eclipse. It's going to make the moon appear as blood.
2: Now it's the kind of eclipse that is sun earth moon where the earth is blocking the light to reach the moon so it's the moon that's going to appear basically red because it's getting less light the only light it's getting is the stuff that's bent around the earth yeah so that's why it's appearing red it's not the eclipse where the moon is blocking the sun where we can't we just see the ring of the corona or something right so just making sure that the listeners understand it's that kind of eclipse it's
1: a lunar eclipse not a solar
2: eclipse. Perfect.
1: So, like I said, we have this blood moon that's coming up. And because it's coming up on Passover, apparently this means that our local news is seeing it as a prophecy. I, or well, they're mining it for <laughs> prophecy to get viewership and, and clicks and shit.
2: Well, the uh, another article I read um, on a place called designtrend.com mentions that it's the pastors, John Hagee and Mark Blitz, that are really kind of pushing this idea of the fact that this lunar eclipse, which is apparently also called a tetrad, coincides with Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, whatever that is. Sukkot. Okay. Yes. So that it's these these two different holidays and the eclipse, and it's being pushed by these essentially evangelical pastors. So it's not necessarily the news agency, but they are being a little too credulous of this idea of prophecy.
1: As a side note, for those of you who are new listeners, John Hagee is in our backyard. (laughs) John Hagee and Cornerstone Church are literally probably 25 miles away from us. Yes. So I'm pretty sure that our local news quotes them quite a bit.
2: Or they just get a lot of material from them. Right. Yeah. So, and they don't fact check them.
1: But it's... You know what? Here's the thing. like In this article posted by KSAT, it starts out with, Like the Mayan prophecy of 2012, a series of total lunar eclipses known as the Tetrad is causing speculation and a lot of explanation. So first off, they tied it into the Mayan prophecy. That's
2: just lazy like the, reporting, Yeah.
1: And so it says uh, there are eight... Tetrad's in the twenty first century, but the ones in this tetrad are being remarked upon because they coincide with the full moon of Passover as well as Sukkot.
2: Now, didn't that article also say that this is kind of something that was mentioned in Revelations? Yes, and that's why Hagee and they were kind of getting really into it because they're big old end times kind of freaks.
1: Yes, it says the biblical implications being applied by some, however, come from Revelation six twelve. Which reads,
0: It watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black as sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red.
2: Okay, so we've got this book of revelations that was written basically 1,500 years ago, give or take 100 years, or something like that.
1: And name me an end times prophecy that doesn't have some form of eclipse in it.
2: Right, it's it's one of those things where a couple thousand years ago, even a thousand years ago, any weird astronomical event... A comet, a solar eclipse, a lunar eclipse, a meteor falling, um, a, a supernova. All of those, we did not know what the hell they were. They were odd events in the sky. So people always thought that especially comets were omens of something usually really bad about to happen. It was the only explanation we had. The ground was shaking, so the god of the volcano must be pissed off.
1: Because they didn't have a basic understanding of astronomy and physics like we do now.
2: Yeah, they didn't know any better. Even I
1: understand the principle (laughs) behind a lunar eclipse.
2: Earth block sun. That make eclipse. You understand that.
1: I, you know, this is not that difficult to understand. But if you're a cro magnet man in France in a very small group and this happens and you have no warning of it yeah everything else you
2: don't have it's calendars kind of a to predict big yeah. fucking deal yeah
1: it's the same as you know a, a comet going across yeah. you know that's a pretty big fucking deal it the, was when i was in junior high and high school and we saw haley's
2: comet yeah it was a big
1: fucking deal the most
2: it's the most famous comet of them all and it's what every 68 years give or take 76 I think, 76 thank you that was beyond the average human lifetime 1,000, 2,000 years ago. So
1: Yeah, when you were lucky to make it to age 30 without being eaten yeah. by a dinosaur. Ha ha, I'm you saying ha- that as a joke, people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or like, like you said in the article, they say these tetrads, these lunar eclipse, only happens a few times in a century. That's not often enough to be within human memory. So these are extremely rare events. For someone who doesn't have a good calendar system to measure this out – They're not going to be able to predict this, so of course it's a rare event, and if you don't know anything about the universe, it's fine. Some drug-induced idiot wrote revelations and thought, I remember this blood moon happened 10 years ago. It must be an omen, so I'm going to write that into my post-apocalyptic porn. Yeah. So we understand that, but we know so much better about this crap nowadays. We know with the Mayan calendar thing, that it was just a calendar. It was, you flip to the next page and you start the next cycle. <laughs> du, 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 oh my God. There is no reason to flip out about that. There is no reason to flip out about a red moon because we understand the physics and the astronomy behind right, it. Just, we understand that the Earth is not the center of the universe and it's not the sun going around the,
1: the Earth. And just because there is a coincidence and it happens to fall on your holy day yeah. doesn't give it any more specialness than if it fell on, say, a Tuesday. Yeah. And it's a really cool thing. I mean, this blood moon, this red moon, it's, it's very pretty. Right. In, in my personal opinion, it's it's very pretty. You go out and you look at it and you go, ah, and you suddenly feel smaller in the world because <laughs> you are reminded that you're just a pale blue dot citizen. And there right. is a whole universe out
2: there. It's that scene from, I think it's, is it the restaurant to the end of the universe where Zaphod Beeblebrox is put in this machine and shown where he is in the vast expanse of the universe? and, And most people go mad in that because they just realize how small and tiny they are. Yeah. It's one of those moments where you have awe of nature and how big the universe is and how long it takes for coincidences like this to happen. How long it takes for, I think another thing coming up this month is... Mars and Earth lining up. Mars is coming its closest to Earth in its orbit or something like that. Yeah. Like, both of their ellipses are close enough that they're lining up at this point. That happens, I don't know, (laughs) once a thousand years, once a century, I don't know, but it's a very rare event. It's something you can get out your telescope and look at Mars and say, that's the closest it will be for X amount of years. Wow, that's awesome.
1: And And this time you get to look at it and go... We've put stuff on there, (laughs) you know, and we're getting pictures of it.
2: Why is that not enough all in the universe?
1: That's just fucking (laughs)
2: cool. I mean, granted, this is two people who, along with our friends, spent an evening (laughs) in the bar cheering science when the curiosity landing (laughs) happened. Yeah.
1: I think that bar is still kind of a little freaked out about that. Yeah. But but hey.
2: But still, I mean, there's plenty of fun and awe to be had in the real world. So everybody who thinks, oh, Lawrence Krauss is trying to destroy the specialness of the world, so we have to make a documentary about the Earth being the center of the universe to keep our awe in the universe, to keep our belief in God. You don't need that. You can you can have a beauty in the universe without fantasy because the real world is crazy enough and the idea of well the earth is in this special place and it is you know it's miraculous that we have life yes it is but it doesn't mean that someone did that we can feel special without it and we can cure diseases without homeopathy exactly and we can say that bad things happened like nine eleven, without johnny bravo cartoons and i know i'm summing this episode up way too early <laughs>
1: Do you want to do some up tonight?
2: I think I just did. Ah.
1: Since Greg has jumped to the gun and... I'm sorry. I'm Arizona. sorry.
2: We can talk about more stuff.
1: We can talk about mice.
2: Okay, let's talk about mice.
1: Because apparently, there was a big study that came out that basically said all those mice studies where they give them, you know, the medications to mm-hmm. to, to pretest before human trials, apparently...
2: Eh, uh, okay. Careful there. Well, let's back up a second, because it's not all my studies. Right. So we had scientist Steve Perrin, who works on ALS treatment at the ALS Therapy Development Institute.
1: And ALS is Lou Gehrig's disease for everybody.
2: (laughs) He wrote an article for the journal Nature describing how he decided to take a look at the early studies that are done within pharmaceutical companies to try to test drugs. How the basic process of drug testing works is you work in a lab with Petri dishes to see if your chemical substance does something to cell A, B, C, just in that. And then you move on to animal studies to try it in mice. And if that still works promising, your animal model works, then you move on to human trials. And maybe eventually you have the cure for cancer or the cure for heart disease X or whatever, what Steve Perrin wrote in his article is that it seems like there's too much either a rush or too much sloppiness in those second phase, of those mouse studies, because not so much with the big pharmaceutical companies, because they have so much at stake, but sometimes the f- smaller pharmaceutical studies will do a animal study and they'll say, yeah, it looks promising. Let's move on to the next stage, which may be like a pre human trial or something like that, oftentimes those animal studies for these smaller pharmaceutical companies aren't as rigorously controlled as they really should be. So the main thing Steve Perrin goes into is the idea that a lot of these animal studies aren't replicated. So we know from studies that if you have a study with a hundred mice, you might get a false positive sometimes, even if it looks really good. So you have to replicate it, with the same procedure and do it again with other mice and keep trying it. If you still see the high levels, you should move on. Right. They also don't seem to do as much blinding as they should be. So with humans, you really definitely have to do a lot of blinding because you don't want a scientist to say, here's this pill. It'll really help to, wink, if, wink. if they know it's the actual drug. And then to a placebo person, they say, here's your pill. Like, the the person in the experiment will react to, they don't seem to have a lot of faith in this, so, okay, well, I'll take it. And that placebo effect might be a problem. So even with animals, you still have to do a control, because if you think that your drug is going to work, you're going to pay more attention. You're going to ignore problems with the treatment mice. You may say, well, half the mice in my treatment category didn't get better, but these three mice... Um, They looked a little off. They weren't eating as much. So I'm going to take them out of the study. And right then you've screwed with your numbers. Exactly. So it's not necessarily people being evil big pharma people, especially even in smaller pharmaceutical companies. It's more sloppy work that leads to, okay, we tried this mouse study. It looked promising. We tried it on the human studies. We spent three years doing these human trials, spent millions of dollars on salaries, on insurance, on (laughs) making these pills, on getting government grants and all that to do these human studies, and whoops, nothing's there. Right. Where you might have been able to find that if you had done a better animal study. So that's really the core of Steve Perrin's article in Nature, and it seems that several people seem to agree with him.
1: Well, my issue, and it's not with Steve Perrin, but it's an issue Mm -hmm. that he brings up, is that these studies end up running hundreds of millions of dollars that... Could be used, had they done the correct procedure in the first place, Yeah, that money wouldn't be seem to be going to waste. Because yeah. even in animal study, even in looking at how it works in mice, that's still running up a cost that could be used for development.
2: Yeah. I, I would assume that, let's say a mouse study costs a million dollars or whatever. I assume that when it gets into the human trial level, the costs exponentially increase. Yes. Because of all the various factors I mentioned. So if you try a one mouse study and say, looks like it's fine, let's move on. Because you're desperate to say, we got to find something because people, it's not because a- Because
1: people are dying.
2: Yeah. It's not a profit motive. It's more of, I want to cure cancer. Every scientist out there, whether they're working for big pharma or not, got into it because they want to cure cancer and maybe they want to make money on the side because you don't make money when you're academia or something like that. But they want to try to cure this. So they're being a little sloppy, but they move on to the next study, which is even millions and millions of dollars where maybe you could have funded 10 mice studies or something. And nine of them would have been a bust, but you found that 10th one that was actually promising because you replicated, you controlled it better, might bring us to cures quicker. And it also will save money in the long run, which is a big problem in our medical system, especially in the United States.
1: Right. But it does come down to this. Scientists are seizing on very hopeful results. Yeah. And that's, that's a quote from the article or from the NPR article. So they get this glimmer of hope mm-hmm. and they move it to the next level of testing But the problem is, is that if that test was done sloppily, those people that are brought in for the human testing most likely can't try another experimental drug.
2: That's right. Because they were in this other condition, they're not a fully controlled person. Right. Uh, They may have been affected by that substance in some other way that they can't control, so they need as pristine subjects as they can get.
1: I mean, I know that I personally would be pissed yeah. if I or one of my loved ones got accepted for a experimental treatment because of a ALS or cancer or HIV to only find out that the initial study had been done sloppily. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, there's this promising new drug Yeah. and it works and I can't get it because scientists, hey, fucked it up. I Yeah pretty pissed
2: at, at least it's not through any evil motives but still right you'd wish they thought more about the long run the big picture of we got to be careful we got to get this right the first time so we don't waste our resources and we don't disqualify people from further experiments or delay some other product which means that we could have saved lives
1: and that's what it boils down to but it's also a matter of spending your money wisely yeah Doing your experimentations rigorously. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Documentation, documentation, documentation. This is an argument that I had today. There was a a Facebook meme that was absolutely horrible. I'm not (laughs) going to go into it. But it basically was a Christian, probably in the 70s, science fair experiment. Basically saying, can black people go to heaven? Oh dear. And so my answer was... I'm wondering how they drew up their experiment and (laughs) was able to replicate the results.
2: One caveat I might say, I do remember a meme of photos going around previously of horribly named science experiments kind of like that. A lot of those were photoshopped to make it look racist or whatever. right? But that was
1: my general answer is, how do you test this how do you replicate it this is yeah. what <laughs> science is predicated upon is replication of the results yeah. and and, and that's... if you can't it's not science <laughs> there are certain cases where diseases are so they affect such a small percentage of the population an example is progeria the aging disease right because it affects such a small, small, small portion of the population, literally a percent of a percent of a percent, you can't do double blind studies. You can't do a lot of this stuff. You can't
2: do twin controlled studies or anything like that. Yeah.
1: You can't, but you make those exceptions and you, you're hoping that the medication that you're developing works for the symptoms, but you're still not treating the disease. That's right. There was a really great documentary about Sam Burns who had progeria. And that was what they were talking about was that they didn't have enough people to do studies. Yeah. So they only treat the symptoms.
2: With those really small cases where it's a very, very rare disease, it's, it's kind of along the lines of how people are saying, well, we want to put this research into neuron development and neural damage. So that we may be researching to try to cure MS or something, but that will also have implications on Alzheimer's and spinal cord damage and all that, where you hope that some other medication or treatment that you were researching for one purpose might have other associated purposes for something like the early aging disease progeria. So maybe other research into human aging might help us find out why that's happening, how to stop that. You got to figure out where to put your money. This whole thing about these mouse studies and where you're going to put your money says a lot about how people think that big pharma is evil. We've already said along the lines of, well, most of the people who are actually doing the science are actually trying to do good and actually trying to cure people. Maybe the, the business people in either big pharma or something like Monsanto may not be as ethical, but the scientists are, are really trying to do the work but all this stuff costs a lot of money and that's why you have say AIDS drugs that are cost $1000 a pill that it's all the treatments that they tried and failed and spent a lot of money on trying all of that goes into why this pill is so expensive yeah. so you can't just say well the pill itself costs 5 bucks to actually produce to basically grind the powders down and, and chemistry make the substance. Yeah. You have to pay for all that research, not just for everything into the pill, up to the pill you tried to make, but the next pill you want to make that will actually do something even more fantastic.
1: And the pills that didn't work
2: yeah, exactly. as well.
1: The great quote about Thomas Edison, he had a thousand failures on the incandescent light bulb, but he only needed the one success. Yeah.
2: And turn that around of – I think he, he said something along the lines of, I learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And that costs a lot of man hours, a lot of materials, a lot of substances.
1: But I'm I'm essentially yeah. quoting um, Nick Cage on that one.
2: So <laughs> I don't know if he
1: actually said it. I would believe that he did. Yeah. In those weird – Could be. The, I don't the, know. The weird conspiracy movies that he did.
2: Uh, National Treasure? Yes. Okay.
1: Which are a great, fun little movie. Yeah. But they're a movie, people.
2: (laughs) They're not real. Yes, exactly.
1: So we've already wrapped up and then went back and talked some more.
2: Yeah, but uh, you've heard what I thought we learned today. Donna, what do you think we learned today?
1: I think that we learned that mouse studies may or may not be reliable. I think that we learned that movie makers may or may not be reliable. Homeopathy may or may not be bunkum. Johnny Bravo may or may not have prophesied about the 9-11 incident and that J. Presper Eckert may or may not have invented the computer. We don't know. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> That's all we learned today is that we may or may not have learned something.
2: <laughs> I think you're taking your skepticism a little too far. <laughs> it's, it's the philosophy of how can we really know anything that you're kind of going to go in with. You're, you're bordering on there, but I see your point.
1: Yes, because we may or may not have learned something tonight. Yeah. But we do know that it may or may not be the time to end this podcast.
2: And we may or may not have Gary back next week. Or we may or may not have Donna next week.
1: Hopefully, Gary will be finishing his thesis and a couple of other projects that he is working on. Hopefully, he is feeling better. Hopefully, he is quit liking other stuff and hanging out with the cool kids because, let's admit it, we're kind of geeky. So I think that's what's happened. I don't think that he's actually sick. I don't think he's working on his thesis. You I think he's just found new friends.
2: You think he has a girlfriend or something?
1: God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and bye-bye. Yep, that's it. I don't know. I'm just being weird now. Yeah, that's not our theme song. Are you sure?
2: yes because it may sure. or may not be oh for christ's sake don't <laughs> i'm sorry no you're not you're seriously not sorry
1: yeah i pretty much you am
2: would not. do that again in a heartbeat
1: yes because it was fun So, I am Donna Swafford, and with me tonight is Greg Perrine, and tell me, Greg, how was your week?
2: Uh, I should have thought of something before we started Just recording. jumped um, right into it. Harpo, uh, you got anything?
1: And I think she has plenty to say. Unfortunately, <laughs> nobody speaks dog. <laughs> She's saying no, that she, she, she needs a walk to walked and to be played with.
0: <laughs>
1: and even she agrees that homeopathy is bunkum. Yes.
2: Go away. No. I got nothing. You got nothing? Nope.
1: Didn't see any movies? Didn't nope. I'm going to go out on a ledge here, and I'm going to assume that you have a birthday picked out for today.
2: I do. And thank you for using the phrase picked out today rather than you have a birthday because then I would have to go on some stupid little jokey rant of how, no, I don't have a birthday, but I have picked a birthday, so.
1: Well, you have a birthday, but it's earlier in the year.
2: Right, but it's not today. Yes. Yeah, I think all of that is going to be cut out because that was kind of stupid.